turn in your Bibles again to Romans 1.16. Alright, I think it's on. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'll get there eventually. This Bible's pages sticks together. I promise you, I know where Romans is. It's one of the prerequisites for getting to preach is you've got to know where Romans is in their Bible. And really, that's the only pre... No, I'm joking. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. I have an agenda this morning, and it's a very simple one. Well, actually, I have two agendas. <laughs> Two purposes. One is for everyone here to be able to leave here being able to say from the scriptures what the gospel is. If I was to ask you right now, and I'm not going to, so don't get nervous. If I handed you a Bible and said, what is the gospel? Could you show me from the scriptures what the gospel is? Do you feel confident that you can do it? That's just a rhetorical question. Don't, don't, <laughs> you don't have to prove it to me right now. Uh, maybe later. Uh, well, there will be a test at the end. But would you be able to do it? Would you able, be able to open up the Bible and show what the gospel is? Because the gospels here is very important. We, we usually get caught up in the very first few, few words. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and we sing songs about the, to that end and things of that nature. But what is it that we're not ashamed of? What, what, what is that message? And the importance of it is brought out in this text. Why is it important? It's the power of God unto salvation. It's what saves you. And it's what saves me. And it's what will save anyone who believes it, whether Jew or Greek. So it's important. One, one person said you can't take the gospel to the wrong address. It will save anyone who believes upon it. So the gospel is very important, but what is it? Now, before I get into uh, some of the, the portion of this message, I want to I, I do something maybe fun. If you've got a pencil and paper, I want to teach you a Greek word. All right? How many of you all want to learn some Greek this morning? All right, two or three hands. The rest of you all are kind of upset that I'm going there. And I apologize about that. But I want to teach you a Greek word. So if you got a pen and a paper, I want you to write down two things. Well, you can write down as many things as you want, but get two things. The first thing I want you to write down is ooh. That is in we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna anglicize it we're gonna we're gonna make it an English word here, but that's e u. It is the prefix to this word. It's fun to say. Ooh. All right, got it. All right. Now I want you to write next to it the word angel. The English word angel. 
But we're not going to pronounce this as angel as we do in English. We're going to, instead of making a hard G sound, we're going to make it, is it a soft G? <laughs> we're we're enge, engel, angel, all right, like that. So, u-angel. Can you pronounce it like that? All right, u-angel. And then, that is the root word. What it means is, u is good, and the word angel is a message. Angel is message, good message, good report, or in other words, good news. Now, in the text that we just read, it's a noun, and it's a neuter noun, so you add, so if you want to learn the, complete, the, the, the noun form of this word, it's uangelion, uangelion, right? So that's the gospel, the good news. And it's also often found as a verb in the New Testament, and the way you switch it to a verb, it, it becomes uangelizo. You add an ezo at the end, and it verbalizes that word. It's often translated, and you don't notice you're reading it, it'll often translated just, they preached. But what literally it means is, they were preaching the gospel. They were declaring the good news, or they were gospeling, if you would. And that's what they did. So there is this thing called the gospel. It's good news. But what is the good news? And they went about preaching the good news. They had a message that they were preaching. What is it? Now, turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, and if you're going to pass the test at the end, this is where you're going to go in order to show people what the gospel is. First, a few words about what it is not. One of the things uh, in the next 25 minutes or so, uh, I hope you get, is what it is, but there is a lot of misconceptions about what it, what it is. The gospel is not your testimony. And you should share your testimony. I've share what Christ has done for you, but I, I've, I've got, uh, gone to a, a gospel meeting once where they were talking about the gospel and it all it centered on, well, you've got to go out and tell people your story. That's not what we're talking about here. Paul shared his testimony and he shared his testimony quite often. Uh, according to Luke, he would even stand before kings and tell them what God had done and how he was saved and how he met God one day. And I hope everyone has that experience of having met Christ here. And if not, I hope as I share the gospel to you today that you will be able to say, I met Christ. But it's not your story. It's his. As I go out and try to witness to people, I'm, I'm often asked, them. this is the icebreaker question, can you tell me what the gospel is? And, and I was speaking to a Jehovah's Witness once, 
and uh, and and the poor guy really really uh, was was kind of floundering during the entire conversation. And I wasn't trying to embarrass him, but I simply handed him the Bible and said, "Could you show me what the gospel is?" And the lady that was with him says, "Well, the gospel's the kingdom." And I said, "Well, that's that. Yeah, it, it involves him as king and him as lord and his kingdom here upon the earth. But that's not good news." to people that are outside of that. Read Matthew 13, for instance, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that drags out fishes and the good go to, and, and the good are cast away and the, and the others are brought into the boat. Or, or that, that's not good news for people in and of itself. It's not good news for those that are judged by that king. So it's not just the gospel. Then sometimes you'll have these full gospel meetings. I've been following a pastor here on uh, uh, on social media, and and the pastor says he is a full gospel person, and why by and as I followed him, he talks about declaring the gospel, but I've never heard him actually say what the gospel is. And to him, the full gospel takes in all kinds of signs and miracles and wonders and this happening and that happening, but I've never heard him declare the gospel yet. And I'm sadly that's the shape of many churches. The gospel is not declared. So you already got a, a head start. You know where you can go to, to, to figure out what the gospel is. But let's go ahead and read this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the euangelion. So he's going to tell us what the gospel is. I'm going to tell you, in other words, exactly what it is. And it should come to no surprise to you because he goes on and says, the gospel which I preached unto you, so I've told you this before, which you received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory the thing what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. Now, I don't want to dwell on this if here, but it's here. There are people that will call themselves Christians that will prove in the long run that they did not really believe. It stands as a warning, but that's not the message for today. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all, so now we're getting into him telling us what the gospel is. For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that... And I'm putting emphasis on the and that's, and I'll tell you why in a second. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and then Paul adds something here. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. That's the gospel. Now, 
I was putting some emphasis on some words here, and I want to tell you why. What we have here is an early creed, probably some kind of liturgy, and possibly even an early song that was sang by the church. And it's not the only time something like this has happened uh, where we have early Christian hymns that found them found their way into Scripture. And why we know that is we have those words. In verse 3, he says, I'm going to give to you what I received. How that, and that word that, is opening what we call a content clause. In, in Greek, it's hati, O-T-I, a hati clause, a content clause. Uh, and so he is giving a direct quote from a source that he knew and they knew. Does that make sense? So he is directly quoting a source here. And he says it was a source that he received when he was saved. And that he declared unto them. So it, and he has four parts that he gives. He says, and that, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then there's a second part. And then he quotes again. So he breaks up. So, but he's sourcing material. He says, that he was buried. That he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen. In each part of this, he is quoting a source a source that was known by the early church. Now, I want to give you a couple more instances of this where this happens in the scripture, where there is a song or a liturgy or a creed. Usually they would, they would quote because it was still a very much a verbal culture. They didn't have, well, believe it or not, they didn't have this that they can carry around. So a lot of things they learned verbally, and they would repeat the things verbally in ways that they could remember, and they would even sing them. So there's other parts where this happens. Let me show you two other songs or, or liturgies or, or things that were uh, repeated verbatim by the, script, by, by the early church that find their way in the Scriptures. Turn, if you will, to 1 Timothy 3.16. We have a song, an early Christian hymn, there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 16. A lot of good 316s. This is one of them. So he is talking about Christ, the church being the pillar and ground of their truth, or how people ought to behave themselves in the church of God, rather. (laughs) I'm sorry, I was in the wrong chapter. and he gets to chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, and he says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And then he goes into a poem about Christ. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. What is that? He's quoting a song. To Timothy, early Christian hymn meant to teach doctrine. So when the church in the early days used to get together, they would, they, they would come up with these liturgies. They would come up with these things that they would repeat one, one with another. And these were being quoted by Paul. There's one other instance. Has anybody ever heard of the Carmen Christi? 
Anybody ever heard that phrase? It's a song that Paul quotes in his letter to the Philippians. Turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. This time he uses it as a sermon illustration, which he did there as well. Uh, but this is the Carmen Christi, another early Christian hymn that found its way into the Scriptures. And somewhere is Philippians. Ephesians, Philippians, yeah, okay, <laughs> remember now. Philippians chapter 2. So he says in verse 5, let this mind be in you. So he, what, he, he is illustrating in the verses before the need for us to, to be like-minded, to, to consider one another, have lowliness one, one towards another, uh, esteem one another better than ourselves. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he quotes a known song that we call the Carmen Christi as a sermon illustration. What was it? It's, that song starts in verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That whole section was what was known as the Carmen Christi. It was a song that the early Christians sang, and Paul used it as a sermon illustration. That's sort of what is going on if you'll go back to 1 Corinthians. I want to march through this, and hopefully... A, you all will leave here more confident about what the gospel is and more confident about sharing the gospel with others. What is the gospel? Let's start with the very first content clause in verse 3. I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that, he starts a quote, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. First point. So, what we have here, what is the Gospel? The Gospel begins with a person. Christ. We preached Christ. Paul would say later. Uh, 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 later. Uh, we preach Christ. Who is Christ? Now, I run, last time I was uh, in Moorhead, I, I went out with a pastor from Redeeming Grace, and we were handing out tracts at a Christmas uh, event that they were having in Moorhead. And uh, the Seventh-day Adventists were out there as well. And the Seventh-day Adventists uh, said, yeah, we, we, we're, we're preaching the gospel too. And I said, I, I, you're not, because we're not preaching the same Christ. Right? You preach a Christ that was just a man. Who is the Christ of the Scriptures? 
See, there's people out there that say that they're preaching the gospel, that they're not preaching the Christ of the scriptures, and therefore they have no ability of declaring a gospel. And ultimately they end up with a system of work, so if you just follow Christ's examples, you'll be saved, or something like that. Yeah, if we can be perfect like Christ was. Uh, who is Christ? John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything created. Or I, I messed that up. My, 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 he, he, in other words, he created, He's the Creator. He created all things. He's the Word. The Word was made flesh. He is God. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily who came down or as we just read in the Carmen Christi, humbled himself, emptied himself of his glory. That's who Christ was. If you don't have the Christ of the scriptures, you don't have a gospel. So the very first part of the quote, in the very first word, Christ. And then what did Christ do? He died. That's amazing, ain't it? <laughs> because it goes on there, and I was quoting John 1, and it says, in him is life. He's the source of life. And he died. Why did he die? For our sins. There is something that is very important to the gospel right here. Doctrinally, it's called penal substitutionary atonement. Why is it the word penal? We have penal codes. <laughs> it just means legal. Legally say, uh, he legally represented you and he died in your stead for you. See, there's this problem. A death penalty hangs over every single human being. All the way back in the beginning, there was a promise made by God. The day you eat thereof, you shall die. Right? That's where the death penalty started, right? Uh, so the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die is actually how it goes. There is, a, there, there is a certainty. Now Adam ate the fruit and of course, did he, did he have a heart attack and just fall over? No, he lived another 900 years physically. But he did die. God wasn't a liar. God cannot lie. How did he die? How do we talk about this death? Well, two ways. Adam immediately hid from God. And then later, Adam was driven from God. What is death? It's separation. In Adam, all die. So if all you have is your natural births today, you are under the penalty of Adam, you are experiencing it. In Adam all died. By one man sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We have a problem. 
How many of us in here are sinners? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to admit it. How many of us? All of us. For all have sinned. Adam represented us. And he disobeyed God. And now he was separated from God. We have a literal walking dead happening outside these walls. What do we, what do we mean? Before someone is saved, it says they were dead, Ephesians, 1, Ephesians 2, 1, dead in trespasses and sins. Literally, the walking dead outside. They have the death penalty upon them. They are dead, separated from God. And if they continue in that, the wages of sin is death. There is a second death. There is that time where, he'll, where it'll be said, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. And here comes Christ. He didn't die for himself. In Adam, all die. But later in this very chapter, in verse 22, in Adam all die, but in Christ, everyone in Christ shall be made alive. He stood in our stead. He became the new representative for a new creation. And all in Him are alive. And we're going to get there in a second, but I'm getting way ahead of myself. Christ died for our sins. That's our hope. He took our place. He, later, Paul is going to write another letter to the Corinthians and he's going to say this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he's going to say, He, the Father, has made Him, the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin. He didn't have to die. He was sinless. Right? So when He died, He didn't die for Himself. To be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That is substitutionary atonement. Your hope is not doing better, turning over a new leaf, joining a church, getting baptized, all those things are good. But your hope is that He died for your sins. That's the, new good, that's the good news. You deserve to die. He died. You deserve to hang on the cross. He hung, on, hung upon it instead. Now, as we're still, and I know I'm watching the, the, my watch too. I don't want to keep you all too long. As we still finish the first point of the four, there is a very important phrase here. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. What does that mean? Well, it means that this didn't just happen in a vacuum. It was expected that a Savior was coming. Even Job, the very first book that was written in the Old Testament was Job. Job was looking for a Redeemer. I know my Redeemer lives and on the latter days, he's going to stand. After Adam sinned, what was he looking for according to the promise? That one, the seed of the woman was going to come 
and bruised the head of the serpent. It was expected. It was expected all along. Moses said, somebody's coming, a prophet just like me. And you're going to need to hear him. Isaiah would later say, all we like, if she, all we like sheep have gone astray and has gone everyone their own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was expected. It was expected in the prophecy. It was expected in the types. Here we go to the Passover. Death is coming over. The death angel's coming. Firstborn must die. What do you need to do? Take a lamb. Cut its throat. Take the blood. Put it on your doorpost and on your lentils. And when the death angel sees the blood, he will pass over you. The day of atonement, Yom Kippur, comes. The goat of the sin offering is brought up. And they all lay hands upon that goat the leaders, that is, the priests, and confess the sins of the people, and instead of the people dying, the goat dies. And we could go into types all along through this. When John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. What is the gospel? It's this, first of all. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Secondly, we have a second content clause. This will go a little bit faster. And that, he quotes again, verse 4, he was buried First of all, it tells us that uh, one of the early heresies is, was that he just he he didn't really die because you know if you get into Platonism and stuff like that and in, in the Greek culture uh, he couldn't have really had a body God couldn't have had a body and he couldn't have really died. In fact, some of that some of that Platonic uh, Gnosticism has crept crept into uh, uh, Islam and what do they believe about? Uh, what do they believe about Christ? Christ didn't really die on a cross, according to Islam. Why? Because they believe the Gnostic sources from the 2nd and 3rd century. It's called Docetism. It just appeared to be a human. He just appeared to die. He just appeared to be buried. Here, he was literally buried. They literally took his body off of the cross and laid it in a tomb. We're talking about something real. Let me mention something real quick about the power of death. There's not one of us, according to the psalmist, that can save ourselves from death. The fear of death holds man captive all their lives, Hebrews 2. Death's a powerful thing. It still seems powerful as our loved ones are put into the grave today. Jonah was going to be the type. 
three days, three nights in the belly of the whale, hopeless, nothing he can do but say and pray, salvation is of the Lord. Psalm 16, death, decay. But the hope is, is death and decay would not come upon one. So we continue to the third point of the gospel. So, if you're following along, what is the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Two, he was buried. Three, again in verse four, and that, so another content clause, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Amen. We could just break out into some song here. Uh, up from the grave he arose with mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor of the dark domain. And he lives forever for the saints to reign. He arose. He arose the third day. What was the type there of, of Jonah? The greater type. Jonah appeared again after three days and declared the gospel to the Ninevites. What was the great expectation of David when he wrote, You will not, in Psalm 16, my, you will not let my soul, or my, my goodness, my mind has gone blank. Y'all just making me nervous and I can't think. Psalm 16. I got ahead of myself because I'm, I'm getting into the portion where it says according to the Scriptures. So when I get out of, out of whack, I, I forget what I'm doing. It says, For thou, verse 10, Psalm 16, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. How was this according to the Scriptures? How was this the expectation? Well, because it was declared the Holy One would not see corruption. But it was also declared in another way. The, the, the Savior was going to die, but the Savior is going to reign forever. And His kingdom is going to have no end. How do you make those two come together? Well, they come together in this truth. 2,000 years ago, Mary Magdalene and other women went to, the, went to the tomb and it was empty. The stone was rolled away. Peter and John ran. John ran a little faster. Went inside the tomb and he saw the grave clothes laying. But he wasn't there. He rose. That was the declaration of the angel. Why seek you the, the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. All right, so if we're tracking here, what is the gospel? The gospel, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ was buried. By the way, we're buried with him. If you're saved, this is your hope. 
This is your salvation that we're talking about here. He was buried. Number three, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then there's a fourth part. And it's the longest part, but that doesn't mean I'm going to preach longest on it. I promise, because I only got four minutes before you all start yawning and looking at your all's watches. <laughs> so I've got to hurry. All right? And that he was seen. And then it lists all the ways that he was seen. And Paul couldn't help but add, I saw him too. Now, we're not getting into the apologetics value of this, and I may mention it in a second. But I just want to share with you this. It's real. Peter would say, We have not followed cunningly devised fables, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He was seen. He said, He sat and ate with him. A spirit doesn't have. <laughs> Flesh and bones like you see with, see me have. Reach hither your hand. Put your, put, put, put your hands right here. Uh, your, uh, take your hand. Stick it in my side. And what was the response? I didn't need. It's real. I, he, Thomas fell down. My Lord and my God. He was seen. One verse of scripture. Our hope is not in a fairy tale. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. All the way back at the end of your Bible. Many places could be shared here, but I want us to see how this, this, this apostolic confidence that they had was because it was real. It happened in real history. John opens up this great letter. That which was from the beginning. 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and our hands have handled. It was real. What we have here is in the, in the declaring of the gospel of the New Testament is the eyewitnesses that saw him, that walked with him, in his glory, that saw him ascend, that know from the revelation that he is living forever, seated at the right hand of our God, able to save to the uttermost all that come to God by him. So, you don't have to go a hundred different places. Here in 1 Corinthians, we have the early Christian hymn, the early Christian liturgy, Telling us exactly what it is we believe, that we trust, what saves us, and what we go outside these doors to declare. It's simple. One more time. Four points. Four little content clauses. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen. Now... Let me take 60 seconds to make some application. First, here's some apologetic value. Paul was saved probably about two or three years after, after Christ rose again from the grave. He received this when he was saved. 
people go around saying, well, they invented the gospel a hundred years later. No, Paul was quoting a source that went back to the very time. This is what Christians have always believed. All the way back to that first upper room long ago. Christian Christianity did not develop. It came out of the womb fully developed. Secondly, here's our comfort. Death was defeated. We're going to bury many of our loved ones before we're all done. But everyone who has believed in him will never die because he lives. So this is our comfort. And lastly, this is our hope. Have you noticed what is not in the declaration of the gospel? You. <laughs> Something for you to do. I'm glad about that because if it depended upon me, I would fail. And I don't want to burst your all's bubble this morning, but if it depended upon you, so would you. What is not in the gospel is a list of things for you to start doing in order to be saved. What was the very first scripture we read? Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it. And that's the hope. I don't have to have a hundred little things, a hundred little things for me to do. I've got I've to do this, this, and this, and if I can keep going to the end, then no, the gospel is my salvation. If you come back next week and I haven't ran you off, because uh, uh, Jeff has asked me to preach again, uh, we'll talk about discipleship. But it's under this understanding that the gospel is our salvation, nothing else. I hope you received this. Uh, I, ho I hope you received a blessing from this this morning. And I hope you can, A, have confidence that you know what the gospel is. You can now show it to someone from the scriptures. And B, that you have confidence enough to share it with someone else. Because this is everything to us. This is the gospel. Brother.